Amen, and take your Bible and turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 15. At this point in the story of Genesis, uh, what has happened is that uh, as the nations were growing, um, God called out a certain individual by the name of Abram. And God made a promise to this man, Abram. And the promise we read in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, and this is a tremendous promise that has ramifications even to our day. And the promise made to Abram was this, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so, Abram had this calling from God. God told him to go to a certain land. And Abram began to obey God uh, imperfectly. But he began to obey God. Nevertheless, God had Abram's back even when Abram didn't do everything right. And that's a good reminder to us that... God has our back because of his own character, his own promises to us. Even when our faith is less than perfect, uh, God watches out for us. God always keeps his promises to us. Uh, Sometimes we might end up in in Egypt like Abram did and and, uh, find ourselves uh, with circumstances that were not God's plan. But nevertheless, God keeps his promises to us just like he did with Abram. And so... The time passes along, and we get to chapter 15. And in chapter 15, God visits Abram again. Some years have gone by, and God comes to Abram, and and just as a reminder, tells Abram, remember, your reward will be very great. And Abram's response is very, uh, I think, very typical. Abram's response is understandable. Abram says, well, essentially, Lord, you've already made me very wealthy. You've blessed me beyond measure. And you're saying that my reward will be great. And uh, I have everything that I could ever imagine. I have 318 fighting men in my own household, uh, none of which are my own children, but... They're, they're my servants and my servant servants and, and all part of my enterprise. I have a tremendous enterprise. I have uh, camels and goats and sheep and everything you can imagine, uh, Lord. But there's one thing I don't have. I don't have a son. I don't have an heir to all of this. And everything that you've already given me is going to go to my chief servant, who's not even blood. Not even Ken. And so, Lord, I, I, I'm having a little bit of a struggle here, know, knowing and understanding how I'm going to be a, a great blessing to all the people of the earth. Um, because, well, to be quite frank, I'm, I'm old and my wife's old and we're past our prime when it comes to childbearing years. And so how am I going to be a great nation without any kids of my own? And it was nighttime when Abram and the Lord were having this conversation. And we know that because the Lord said to Abram, Come outside 
So whether Abram was in a tent or a building, I don't know, but Abram went out and the Lord said, look at the night sky. Do you see the stars? Count them if you can. That will be the number of your descendants. So Abram was left with a choice. Does he believe what his own eyes tell him? He's too old to have a son. His wife's too old to give him a son. Or does he believe in the Lord? And we read in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, a verse that we looked at last week, that he believed in Yahweh. That's the Lord. And he, the Lord, counted Abram's belief to him as righteousness. And we saw last week how important this verse is because this is the first time that anyone in the book of Genesis, anyone in the Bible is recorded as being saved. Abram went through a salvation experience much like ours today. How do we get right with God? One way. We believe in the Lord. That's how we get right with God. That's how God counts us as righteous. How God, can, he, he transfers our belief into righteousness. And so we see that in Romans chapter 4, when the Apostle Paul quoted this verse, and he describes this as being true for you and me as well. If we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, God will count our belief as right standing before Him. And then also in Galatians, the Apostle Paul essentially says the same thing. And we see it even in, in James. And in James, uh, James' point is this, that Abram's faith in the Lord in Genesis 15, verse 6, it was proved later by Abram being willing to sacrifice his only son that the Lord eventually gave him in Genesis 22. So Abram's willingness to take away the blessing that God had given him was the essential proof that Abram truly did believe in what God had promised in Genesis chapter 15. And so this story of Abram and his meeting with the Lord in Genesis 15, it continues in the next verse. Verse 7, the Lord said to Abram, I am Yahweh who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. Now, pay close attention. The Lord had just been talking about Abram's descendants. And now the Lord is connecting Abram's descendants to the land, which was another part of God's promise in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. God says, I am giving you this tremendous piece of land. The implication is simple, that Abram himself is not able to hold a, a piece of land that large. He's going to need lots of descendants, as many descendants as the stars, in order to hold the land that God is giving Abram. And so the Lord is saying, 
I've brought you out of one land, a foreign land, and I'm giving you this land. And Abram said, O Lord Yahweh, how may I know that I will possess it? Now, some people have looked at this verse and they think, well, I mean, Abram just believed back in verse 6 and now in verse 8. He doesn't believe? Is that what's going on? No, that's not it at all. You see, there's a difference between believing that the Lord will do something and understanding how the Lord will do it. Okay? The Lord has promised Abram, I will do this thing. I will give you an heir. In fact, I will give you many heirs. I will do it. The question Abram is asking is, how? How will you do it? It is not an indication of a lack of faith on your part if you don't know how God's going to keep his promise. You see, God has promised us many things. I'll take one for example. The Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount promised that we would be taken care of, that God's going to meet all of our needs, right? Very, very plainly. Doesn't God meet the needs of the birds? Doesn't he meet the needs of the flowers? Aren't you worth more, Jesus said, than birds or flowers? Won't God take care of you as well? And so belief says to us, yes, Lord, I believe you will. How? We might not know how. God is under no obligation to tell us how. He might tell us how, or in time we might figure out how God kept his promise to sustain us. But we might not know how it happens. That's Abram's question. Okay, Lord, you're giving me all this land. How? How may I know that I, that I will possess it? Very fair question. But in the end, all you need to know is that God will. You need to believe in the character and the goodness of God. And so here's what God does for Abram in verse 9. God says, he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Now, What's the deal with these being three years old, the first three at least, being three years old? Well, these are prime, the prime age of these animals. And so the Lord is saying, bring me these animals. Now, why does God have need of animals? I mean, God has all the animals in the world, right? What's the point of uh, Abram bringing these particular animals to the Lord? Well, here's what's about to happen. The Lord and Abram are about to... Make a covenant. In the Hebrew, you don't really make a covenant, you cut a covenant. And the way you cut a covenant, the way two individuals, two parties, would cut a covenant in ancient days is that uh, they would come to an agreement, they would come to sort of a contract, and in order to promise that they would each one fulfill the contract, they would sacrifice several animals. And then they would take each of these dead animals and they would cut these animals right in two, all the way through. And they would take 
one half of the animal and lay it down on this side. And the other half of the animal, lay it down on this side. And they would do this for all of the animals that they would be using to ratify this contract, this covenant. And so with the halves of the animals on opposite sides of each other, then the two parties would do this. Man number one and man number two would walk through the midst of the animals on either side. Why in the world would they do that? It was a sign or it was a symbol that said this. May what happened to these animals happen to me if I don't keep my promise. Each man would walk together through these dead animals split in two on either side. A tremendously strong declaration that each man will keep his side of the contract. But this contract is a little different. This contract is between the God of the universe and a man, Abram. And so things are going to go in a slightly different direction. So Abram has to bring these animals to the Lord because they're about to signify the promises in this manner. And then we read in verses 10 and 11. Then he brought all of these to him and split them into parts down the middle and laid each part opposite the other. But he did not split apart the birds. Then the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. And so here you have this picture, you have this idea that all day long, Abram is driving away the vultures and the ravens and all the birds of prey. Shoo, get out of here. And he's running back and forth, uh, shooing away these, these nasty birds from messing things up. And so... He spends all day doing that, and we know that because the next verse we read this. It's the next night. Now it happened when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. Abram fell into a very deep sleep, almost a dead sleep. Um, the last time this phrase was used, a deep sleep, it was used of when God put Adam in a deep sleep. And when Adam woke up, it wasn't just Adam anymore. There was this woman, and everything was different, right? And so now Abram falls into this deep Sleep, And what's this about the terror and great darkness fell upon him? I mean, if you're asleep, it's already dark to you, right? But have you ever been asleep and there seemed to be a great darkness come upon you? This is the best way of describing what was happening psychologically or however else you want to understand it to Abram. And, and oftentimes in Scripture, when someone is in fear, like Abram was in fear that day, 
It is because they have come into the very presence of a holy God. In Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah has a very similar experience. He has this vision, and in this vision, he's at the throne of God, and the angels are singing back and forth or shouting back and forth, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And, and Isaiah is so terrified. He's so terrified that he casts a judgment upon himself. You see, back in biblical days, a prophet could proclaim either an oracle that's positive, that would be a blessing, it would be a beatitude. That's what Jesus was doing in the Sermon on the Mount. He was acting as a prophet, proclaiming beatitudes, blessings. Those are positive oracles upon people. Or a prophet, on the other hand, could cast out a negative oracle. Woe to you. That's what Jesus did in Matthew 23. When Jesus pronounced judgment on all the religious rulers of Jerusalem, he said, woe to you, woe to you. When Isaiah 6, Isaiah has this incredible vision of the Lord, and he realizes something. He says, I don't belong here. Woe to me. He casts judgment upon himself. Why? Because he's in the very presence of holiness. And so he's terrified, Isaiah is. Is that what's happening with Abram? Is he, is he finally coming to the sense that he's in the presence of a holy God? I think that might be part of it. But we have a clue even more specifically why Abram is, is terrified. Abram, we don't see it in this verse, but I believe that Abram somehow senses what's going to happen in the future. That these descendants of his will be enslaved. These descendants of his will go through the worst of times. And this great terror comes upon Abram because God gives Abram, I believe, a view of things to come. How do we know that? Look at the next verse. Verses 13 and 14. Then God said to Abram, Know for certain that your seed will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will also judge the nation to whom they are enslaved. And afterward, they will come out with many possessions. Verses 15 and 16, the Lord continues. He says, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then. In the fourth generation, they will return here. For the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. What in the world is this about? The iniquity of the Amorite. What does that mean? Their iniquity is not yet complete. What it essentially means is that some of the people in the land, the Amorites, are evil people. But their sin had not reached a level, a point where God had yet decided to wipe them out or drive them out of the land. 
when I hear of an idea like that, I can't help but hear of our own nation today. Collectively, as a people, with the exception of the remnant, but your godly people, with the exception of the remnant, collectively as a people, we are exceedingly evil. But God has not decided to wipe us out yet. Our sins are still accruing. For us, there still may be time for repentance. But in God's plan, there was going to be a time when the Amorites would have to pay full measure for the evil that they had done. And so God reassures Abram, even though he has, it seems to be, a sense of what is coming in the future. And then we read in verse 17, Now it happened that the sun had set, and it was very dark. And behold, there appeared, sort of out of nowhere, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between the pieces of the animals on either side. You have visually something like this going on. There's a flaming torch and there's a smoking oven. What, what in the world does that mean? What, what does that signify? The flaming torch and the smoking oven signify God. Later, many years later, during Moses' day, the Bible describes the presence of God on Mount Sinai with these words in Exodus chapter 19, verse 18. Now, Mount Sinai was all in smoke because Yahweh descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain trembled violently. This furnace, this oven, and this flaming torch are symbolic of the very presence of God. The presence of God is walking between the pieces of the animals. Now, in a regular covenant, both parties would be obligated to walk down the middle of the dead animals split on either side. But in this covenant, God alone is the one who passes through the middle. What God is saying is this, and you need to hear this, you need to understand this. God is saying, I will keep my promises. I will be faithful. What a beautiful picture of God's faithfulness. God is saying to Abram, May what happened to these animals happen to me if I do not keep my promises. God has promised you something, Christian. He's promised you salvation from your sins. If your salvation depended on your faithfulness, you'd be lost, and so would I. 
Our salvation depends solely on God and his character. He will save you. God has promised it. And if God has made you a promise, you can believe it with all certainty, all certainty. We wrap up with these verses, and starting in verse 18. On that day, Yahweh cut a covenant with Abram, saying, To your seed I have given this land, from the river of Egypt, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. This is the land of the Kenite, and the Kenizzite, and the Cadmonite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Raphaim, and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. All of these nations, all of these peoples are living in this land now. But the Lord says, I have given it to you and your descendants, Abram. Listen to me. When God proclaims a matter to be settled, it is settled. Let me show you. In Genesis chapter 12, at the beginning of this story, the story of Abram and the Lord, Genesis chapter 12, what God said in Genesis chapter 12, if you read it carefully, in verse 1, he says, I will show you the land. In Genesis chapter 13, the Lord and Abram meet up again. And in verses 15 to 17, God says, that land that I showed you, I will give you the land. And now, in Genesis 15, verse 18, look at the tense of the verb. To your seed, I have given it. I will show you, I will give you. It's as good as done. I've given you my word. It is so secure that we can talk about it in the past tense, even though it hadn't happened yet. Even though you don't have any kids yet. They already own the land. That is assurance from God. It reminds me in the New Testament, when the Bible talks about us being saved, it talks about our salvation in the past tense, our, how God has justified us in Christ Jesus. Past tense. It talks about our salvation in the present tense, how we are being sanctified throughout this life. And it talks about our salvation in the future tense, how God is going to one day glorify these bodies, the body that you have, God will glorify it. Future tense. However, in the New Testament, the Bible talks about glorification on occasion as being already done. It's not done yet. I still have this body. This isn't my glorified body. This body's going to die someday. This body gets sick. God says, I've already done it. You don't experience it yet, but it's as good as done because I have proclaimed it. Christian, I want you to understand 
that you can have full assurance that God will keep his promises. Every last one of them. How do we know? I mean, sometimes my faith wavers. Sometimes I, I, I don't believe like I should. I'm like the man that Jesus encountered. I believe. Help my unbelief. It's not about your faith. It's not about how strong you are, how much character you have. It's about God. God has made a promise. He will keep it.